Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning and happy Easter, Mercy Church. Yeah, man, listen, if you're new here with us, we're so glad that you're here. We were praying for you uh, for months now, and we believe God has something here for you today, man. One of our values as a church is that we expect God to change a life today, every day. We expect it to happen. That might be you today. Um, real quick, this Easter, uh, what we're doing as together as a church, kind of as a response to what God has given us in Christ is we are giving together, taking up an offering to give to churches in need in the country of Turkey that have been decimated by the recent earthquake there. Um, you got an envelope either on your seat or the seat beside you um, that just gives you some instructions on how you can give a code that you can, if you want to link on there and see how you can give, or you can give in this envelope. There'll be folks in the back at the end of the service. Uh, look, don't feel at all compelled to give. I just want you to know none of this, we're just taking it up and sending it out. None of it's going to stay here at Mercy Church. We're just caring for the needs of people over there. And kind of on that note, y'all, sending out, it's just a really big core value of our church here. Uh, we remember that we're a part of a global church. And so in moments of need, we like to send out resources to help those in need like this, but we don't just send our money. We send our people. And y'all in January of 2021, we talked together and committed together that we were going to be about sending our people out for the glory of God, the advancement of the gospel. If God in his kindness would let us, we want to see the gospel multiplied into four works from us over the course of the next four years. Well, I want to give you a little update on where we are that it concludes with a big announcement uh, that we have here on Easter. And the reason I'm doing it today is it's like the one day I know y'all are all here. So we can kind of get this done right here. Okay. Uh, look, 2021 and 2021, right after making that announcement, we planted the rowdiest bunch of Jesus loving mission minded people you will ever meet. I'm talking about our Mercy Northeast campus. Happy, happy Easter, Mercy Northeast. Love you guys. In 2022, last year, we had the joy of planting Mercy Nairobi, a church in Nairobi, Kenya, who at this point has already celebrated their Easter Sunday. In fact, Pastor Allen, their pastor, he sends me a picture uh, of him preaching. Don't know how he took it, but he sent me a picture of that from Easter Sunday. And it was 11 a.m. his time, which was 5 a.m. our time. And he's like, he is risen. And I'm like, well, he is, but I was still sleeping, man. But um, but he sent me a picture. They were baptizing new believers um, this Sunday morning. Praise God for how he's moving. 2023, Lord willing, everything continues to go as planned. We'll be planting a campus of Mercy Church in Union County, led by Pastor Mike Herman, which we're so excited about. And then y'all, the big news, the new information I want to share with you. In 2024, Mercy Church is going to plant another local church. Uh, that's right, sending out one of our own to start a new church plant. And I wanna tell you more about that at our member meeting this coming Sunday night at 
5 p.m. at our Mercy Northeast campus. So you got to be there for it. But look, y'all, our message, this, I want to get on to our message here today. It's going to be in Luke chapter 8. And if it's your first Sunday, if you're new with us, the reason I tell you all that, what I want you to hear is we're just trying to be about what Jesus is about. Loving people, preaching the gospel. All right. That's what we're trying to do. The way we say it is our mission is to make disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus who will love God, will love each other and love our world. And today in celebration of Easter, we're going to see Jesus himself tell us and show us, demonstrate why his resurrection matters so much. That's what we're here. That, we, that is why we gather together is to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But I want to talk about why it matters because here's the deal. Right now, um, you can look at any number of different studies, surveys, whatever, um, whether it's Barna Group, Pew Research Forum, whoever else you look at. On average, 84% of Americans have a positive impression of Jesus. 84% have a positive impression of Jesus. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, 84% of Americans are not Christians. But absolutely. You're absolutely right. Where's the, the disconnect there? Well, one of the disconnects is that 11% of Americans have a positive impression of the church. That's the same favorability rating as Congress. That's where the church is right now. So that certainly ain't helping, okay? But I think even underneath that, the deeper reason many don't believe is that they don't know why it matters. They don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus because it's almost like a non sequitur. They don't know why it matters. It's common to hear, yeah, I'll give you that Jesus really did live. I'll give you that he was a great teacher. I'll give you that he died and plenty will even say, yeah, sure. I'll give you that he died and rose again. But the question of the day is, so what? What's the big deal? That's what I want to show you today. Why the resurrection of Jesus matters 2000 years later. And my cards out front is I believe the power of Christ made true in the resurrection, made visible in the resurrection. Man, I believe the power of Christ and the love of Christ for you will change your life forever. I believe it, but you must receive it. The power and love of Christ really will change your life, but you got to receive it. Let me illustrate the point. My um, oldest son just finished driver's ed. Yeah, I'm having a moment. Okay. Now the good news is he hasn't, he doesn't have his permit yet. You are safe to go home today. Okay. I was thinking, I was like, that's what we need announcements from other families from. Like your baby announcement's fine, but your kid driving affects me, right? Like I need that. Send me that in the mail if that's coming, right? But can you just imagine, like can you imagine when he gets his first car? Like he gets his first car, you know, I've already, in fact, I've already picked his car out for him. I picked it out 13 years ago and began breaking it in for him. And now it has 150,000 miles and counting. It is going to be such a good experienced car for him to take, Right. Can you imagine I hand him those keys? I'm like, all right, Zeke, here you go, buddy. He gets all excited, goes out into the driveway, washes that same thing up, even waxes it, sends a picture to his friends. It's awesome, sits down for a second, you know, and then he gets out, shuts the door and goes back inside. And then the next day, day after his birthday or whatever, same thing happens, goes out there, oh, it's so cool. And he comes back in. After two or three days, this keeps happening. Well, I'm going to go to Zeke and be like, buddy, is there, is there a problem with the car? He goes, no, dad, I love it. I have a very positive impression of the car. I, I love the car. I love looking at this car. Well, I'm going to say, son, the car is not meant to be looked at. I'm glad you like looking at it, but it's meant to be driven. 
to take you places so that I don't have to anymore. I thought that was the agreement and arrangement here, right? You're not going to experience the car's power until you get in it and go. Y'all, so many, especially here in the South, treat Jesus like a car in the driveway. You, you have a positive impression of him. He's, he's valuable to you, but your life hasn't been changed because you never put yourself, trusted yourself into his care and gone anywhere with him. You've never gone anywhere with your faith. And that's why you're stuck because you've never trusted him. The gospel is the news about the power and love of Jesus. I want to show you that power and love today in Luke chapter eight. And I want to call you to get in the car and go to entrust your life to him. I promise you, he will change you. So Luke eight, power and love of Jesus on full display. I'm gonna start in verse 40. Start in verse 40. Here's what happens. And by the way, you're newer to church, anything else? What we do every week around here is we just walk through a passage of scripture. Our church next week will be continuing a study in 1 Samuel. We're looking at the story of King David, but this is what we do. Take a passage of scripture and just walk our way through it and hear what God has to say for us, all right? Verse 40, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Of course they were. If you read up just before this, this dude, Jesus has just taken a whole legion of demons out of a single guy, thrown him into a herd of pigs who then ran off a cliff. So people heard about this. So naturally formed a big crowd. He's back in Galilee. A crowd's formed because the healer is here. I'll tell you, not everybody in the crowd is a follower of Jesus. A lot of them are just audience members. They just want the experience. They're fans. They're not followers. That might be some of you. You come to Easter here for the spectacle, not a follower, but a few among them really desperately want Jesus's help. And we get to see two of them. Here we go. Verse 41. Just then a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. Look what he does. He fell down at Jesus's feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter about 12 years old and she was dying. Man, I'll tell you, crisis reveals your conviction. Ain't no greater crisis on this world than your baby girl dying. And unless you're a girl dad, I don't really know if you can understand the emotion, but I'll just tell you, nobody has my heart the way my two girls do. Like, and the problem is they know it, you know? They puppy dog Ivy all the time. How most mornings, dad, can we have chocolate chips on our waffles? You know, and I'm like, of course you can. Absolutely. My sons will come in, they're like, dad, can we have like, no, go mow the yard. You need character, right? Something like that. <laughs> it's just the, it's the difference, man. But not my girls. They know it. But you guys, you look at Jairus here, bottom line, ain't no pain like kid pain. This guy is a leader in the Jewish community. So the crowd, if you can kind of imagine it in your mind's eye, makes room for him. The crowd makes room for him. He comes to Jesus and he's thinking, maybe, maybe Jesus. I mean, he's the leader of a group that didn't like Jesus. Jesus was upending their religion by claiming to be the God they worship. But in crisis, Jairus says, I look, I'm desperate. I'm gonna have to do more than just admire him in the driveway. I'm gonna have to actually go and get in the car because my daughter's life is on the line. I can't just admire him. I gotta go. I gotta try Jesus. He's desperate. Nothing else is working. He'd have gone there. And what does he do when he comes to Jesus? He falls down at his feet and he begs. 
There's no time for pride and pretense when life is on the line. Isn't that the truth? You ever been in a hospital waiting room? It's part of my job. I've been there many times. You're going to see a lot of pretense put togetherness there. No, you're desperate and all gets ripped away. This is why Jesus matters, y'all. Some of y'all are in crisis. Your life is upended somehow. And maybe the reason you're here today is you're like, I don't know, man, somebody invited me. Let's, and I'm like, let's just try Jesus. Maybe. And I want you to see Jairus right here. He's got plenty of standing and stature in his community, but he doesn't care at this moment. Right as crisis reveals his need. And so he falls down. He begs, Lord, help me. But look at who he falls down to. He doesn't know it yet, but he has fallen down at the feet of the King of grace. That's who he's fallen down to, who has the power to really help him and the loving desire to do so. Like he's the one, he's the one that created the power this King has. He's the one John 1 tells us was all the way back in Genesis 1, speaking the world into existence. He's the one who loved his people. So he parted the Red Sea so that they could walk out free. He's the one who loved his people. So he fed them for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness because he was not going to break his promise to them. He's the one who loved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in the fire, comes in and sustains them and keeps them alive. He's the one who loved Jonah even as Jonah ran away and saved him from the fish, right? He's the one who loved Daniel in the lion's den. He's the one who loved David. And so he saves him from Goliath. Psalm 118, I was reading it this week, trying to read a Psalm a week with a group of guys. And it just says over and over, let the people of God say, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. That, that's the king that Jairus falls down in front of. And y'all, when we get to a time of response today, that's what you need to do. You need to fall down Maybe you need to come down to the altar and just plead with Jesus. And the only reason you can do that is because the one that Jairus went to, the gospel says that one has defeated death himself. He died, he rose again, and he's still on the throne of grace. He's still on it, which means Hebrews 4, we can let us approach the throne of grace with boldness because he's on it so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because he lives, it's what Easter's celebrating, he's alive. Because he lives, he still has power. Power over death, he doesn't lay in a tomb, he sits on a throne, and it's a throne of grace. And you can find help if you'll fall down before him. If you will fall down before him, all pretense has got to be set aside. I don't know what your situation is, I just know the answer is Jesus. Watch him. He's got so much power. As we go back into Luke 8, all you got to do is reach out, touch him, and he will heal you. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any. I want you to just, we're going to pause at that comma. I want you to check this out. This condition would mean in this community, she is unclean. She is chronically ill. She is dying. Women still have this condition all across the Middle East, specifically is rampant right now. This condition would mean she is seen as unclean by her community. The Jews at the time believed that the unclean people should not be around the clean people because they would make the clean people unclean through their presence, especially touching them. You got to understand that. A stained 
person would transmit their stain to you, in other words. This means for 12 years, she's been isolated, completely alone. She can't go to temple. You got to see how low her status is. She's a woman, which already in that culture gives her low status. Then she's unclean, which means she's outcast. Look at the two that we have here that uh, the gospel that Luke, our author, has put right together. You've got a male leader and a female outcast. You've got a family and you've got a single individual. That's not an accident. The fact that she has been bleeding for 12 years. Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. The author's trying to say, look at how the Lord works with these same two things that couldn't be more different. He's saying he's here for all. His grace is for all. Watch what happens. She approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Oh. Isn't this wild? The, the unclean reaches out and touches the clean thing. And in any other setting, that defiles the clean thing, but not here. Not here, the reverse happens. It's crazy. Or anywhere else, the unclean stains the clean. Like um, Pastor Richard, uh, one of our pastors here, has taught me about wearing Jordans, okay? Or, or J's, as you call them, if you're cool enough to do so, which I am not, but I'm trying, all right? Look, here's what he says. There's a couple of instructions that I need you to follow, man. Number one, don't crease them. Got it. Number two, do not walk in the grass with those things. That's why God made sidewalks, all right? You stay on the sidewalks because you walk in the grass, you're gonna get them stained. The dirt, your J's are not going to clean up the dirt. The dirt is going to stain your J's. Make sense? Y'all, with Jesus, the reverse happens. She reaches out and touches Jesus, but the deal is he cannot be defiled. He can't, he cannot be made unclean. He cannot be broken. On the contrary, he cleanses her. He doesn't break, he heals brokenness when you touch him. He doesn't become defiled when you touch him. When you touch him. He cleanses the defiled one. Some of you just need to reach out and touch Jesus today. But you gotta do it sincerely, not as a fan looking for an experience, but as a desperate man or woman in need of healing. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's healing in your soul. And I promise you the physical healing we're seeing is just to prove to you that he can do the greater healing. And that's the healing of the forgiveness of your sins, the healing of your eternal destiny. And y'all, she was healed instantly. This word means so much to me. It, it's given me, I feel like new meaning this week, some of you, like I said, you're not dealing with physical disease, but in your sin, you used to be repeatedly going back to it. That sexual addiction, that anger, that when at all cost pride, is it in, it's infected your life, it's destroying you. And I promise you, he's got the power to heal you instantly. Um, I was down in South Georgia uh, last week. Did a little retreat center down there with a couple other pastors. And there's one guy that worked at the retreat center. I think his name was Billy, but I'm talking like a, Big South Georgia boy, okay, with a big old thick accent. He's kind of walking us around the retreat center. It's a great day. And he said, I'm like, hey, man, tell me your story. You know how Jenna working here? And he's like, well, man, listen up. Here's what happened. A couple years ago, my mama, she'd been praying for me for a long time. I had a 14-year porn addiction. It was ruining my life, ruining my marriage. But my mama just kept right on praying for me, man. And she, she invited me to Easter service. And I was like, fine, mama, you know, I'll go. You know, it's that kind of that thing. So 
He says, man, I don't know what else to tell you, bud. I went in there, sat down, and I got run over by the grace train. <laughs> I was like, the what now? <laughs> he said, the grace train, man, when the grace of Jesus hits you, you look different. And I was like, oh, my guy is preaching to me right now, right? His, his point was, he said, I, I sat down one man and I got up a totally different man because I experienced the grace of Jesus. Y'all, I'm telling you, that kind of, I, the effects of your sin, you may have to spend some time recovering from and the spirit of God will carry you through, but he can change you instantly today. That is available for you in full. I just believe it. I've been praying through it. Uh, even ever since I got up this morning, Lord's like, that's all you need to tell them. The grace of God is available to, to you in full and will change you in full. Don't be afraid. Come to him today. She finds healing, but then something comes she could never have expected, but so desperately needed. A public confession. Look at this, verse 45. Who touched me? Jesus asks. Now, of course, we all know. Or if you know, if you're a Christian, you've been in the Bible, Jesus has full knowledge of what's going on. This question is not for him. It's for her. Who touched me? Jesus asks. When they all denied it, Peter's like, master, come on. The crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, look at this, just like Jairus, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Testimony time, right there when it happened. 48, what does he say? Daughter, he said to her, so gentle. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Trembling, falling down, public. You understand, she got more than she could have bargained for, an instant, complete healing. But he asked her for more than she expected. Public confession. But see how good this was for her. You got to understand. Now there's a, when she returns to to society, she's accepted. There's a public record that she has been healed. The public confession was for her good. Y'all, the Christian faith is not a private faith. And I know some really have trouble with this, but it is a faith that is meant to be public, not brash and in your face, but public. The gospel's news about a savior who has the power to heal you and the loving desire to do so. It's meant to be shared. Jesus' death was not private, nor was his resurrection. He bore the shame of the cross because of his love for you. And I need to ask you, especially Christians, are you ashamed of him? Are you here today hoping for the blessings of Christianity without public allegiance to Christ? No, it's not going to work. You're like the kid that wants everything from mom and dad, but is embarrassed to be seen with them. And Jesus says to you, Luke 9, 26, whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and that of the father and the holy angels. And I say that to you, to call you to actually get in the car and go because it's going to be your story of how you got run over by the grace train that's going to lead someone else to find the grace of Christ. I see this with baptism. Some people are afraid to get baptized because of how public it is. Like you're worried about being embarrassed. And I want to say something. I recognize you may not like the spotlight. Praise God. That's going to serve you well in your life, okay? But I got to say, if you have a fear of going public with your faith, what an opportunity to trust God. Because fear is not a character trait. 
Fear is a spirit. You understand that? Not a character trait. It's a spirit. And it is the spirit that God gives us victory over. Because he says, you've not been given a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So he calls you to go public. And when you do, you verify to the church, to the family you were created to belong to, you are his. He is yours. He has healed you. That's what we're going to see. I'm so excited. We've got across our services, we have eight people getting baptized this morning, publicly professing their faith in Christ. I'm so pumped about it. Maybe that's your next step in getting in the cars to get in the tank and be baptized. We're going to do it again next week if anybody wants to. I'm like, come on down after the service and talk with us about it. All right, let's keep going. Verse 49, while he's still speaking, remember he got interrupted from the conversation with Jairus. While he's still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And when Jesus heard that said, can you imagine? He just locks in with Jairus. Says, hey, hey, don't be afraid. Only believe and she'll be saved. Just right there, eye to eye. Somebody told me after the first service that Jesus' love language is trust. Just trust me. Just believe. There's a word in there to you today. Only believe and you'll be saved. It's not, he didn't look at him and go, hey, try harder. You'll be saved. Hey, go clean yourself up and she'll be saved. No, just believe, trust and she'll be saved. It's so simple, which is why Jesus tells us to come to him as little children. Your only part in this will be belief. Verse 51, after he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her. Of course they were. But then he said, stop crying because she is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. That's not a happy laugh, y'all. This is a mockery of a man that has said in their, what they're feeling is a cruel word in that moment. But what does Jesus do? Verse 54, took her by the hand and called out, child, get up. The word child means little one, dear one. It is a fatherly term of endearment. What he is doing right here is he's waking up another daughter, just like the woman he called daughter. He's waking her up from a nap. Because to Jesus, death is but a nap. It's not the end. He has power over death. So he can simply say, arise, get up. That's all he, when he extends the message of salvation for you today, just believe, arise and get up and you will be saved. Ephesians 2 tells us, arise, get up. So beautiful. Her spirit returned to her, verse 55, and she got up at once. He gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents are astounded. He instructed them to tell no one what had happened. What a moment. Can you imagine? Again, little, his little girl just gets up. And to verify that this wasn't a ghost or something like that, he does the same thing he's going to do later when he gets out of the grave. Give her something to eat. Y'all, I think these two encounters show us why the death and resurrection of Jesus matters. When we see Jesus perform miracles like this, they aren't random acts of power, okay? You understand this? He's not like Yoda just lifting up some rocks, go, ooh, look at my power, I can lift rocks. That's not what he's doing. All of his miracles always are intentional. They point to his plan of redemption. Miracles, I've told you this before, are to be understood as signposts 
pointing to who he is and what he's come to do. Here's what I want you to see about Jesus on Easter right now. If you will reach out to Jesus, he has the power and desire to save you from death. I want you to see his compassion here. Stop and listen to a woman no one else would even give the time of day to, to radically change her life by healing her body. Um, church history fell in love with this woman and her story. Uh, the church historian Eusebius uh, noted that she built a sort of Ebenezer statue, a little statue in the town right there where he healed her so that everyone would know what Jesus did at that time. We can't, we can't be sure about her salvation. It's not in the text, but he does say your faith he doesn't say it healed you. He said, your faith has saved you. He says to Jairus, don't fear, just believe. Brings his daughter back to life with a word. The one who is the word of life, who spoke back in Genesis 1, and just by speaking, there was life. The one who is the word of life speaks and there is resurrection life, new life. That's the sign pointing you to heaven. Where there was death, there will be life. That's, pointing to his own crucifixion. He will die, but then he will live. It's pointing to eternal life in heaven where there will be no more chronic pain, no more sudden death, no more cancer, no more betrayal, no more anger, no more pride, none of it, no more tears, no more death. That's what it's pointing towards. And that's why John three sixteen, maybe the most well-known verse in Christendom, says, for God loved the world in this way, specific way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, will not die, but instead have eternal life. God loves you and he has the power to save you. He says, don't be afraid, just believe. Here's the powerful thing to me. Jesus saves these two people from death, but he doesn't save himself when it's his time to die. Why? I mean, come on. Why not? Well, sin did two things when it entered the world, y'all. It corrupted the natural order, brought physical death. In both of these situations, you might be thinking, if you were to put yourself in there, so I'm trying to get you to do a little bit today, put yourself into the scene, you might think, man, this shouldn't be that way. Listen, a little girl shouldn't be dying. This woman shouldn't have this chronic illness. It's not fair that these things happen. And listen, whatever belief claim that you live by must have an answer for why bad things happen. Or you are just kidding yourself because bad things really do happen. And Christianity comes in and the message of the gospel is, you know what, you're right. It shouldn't be this way. This is not how God created the world. He didn't create a world with suffering. But when sin entered the world, it brought chaos and disruption to his good world. It brought death all around us. And it even brought something into our very hearts, a rebellion, a desire to rebel against God. It disordered our desires. We run away from, the, from God instead of running towards him. We rebel against him instead of following him, even though we know it'd be good for us. So what does Jesus do? Well, he does miracles on earth like these to show the power to reverse the curse of sin, healing the woman, healing the girl, showing he's got power over death, compassion on the hurting. There are promise that he has the power to do the greater thing, to forgive your sin and to heal your soul from its rebellion against God. But to offer you that forgiveness, your sin has to be paid for because our God is good 
and loving, but he's also, like I said on Good Friday, a God of justice. And the goodness of God, the love of God and the justice of God meet together at the cross. And that's why we call it Good Friday. Good because Jesus chose not to come down when he could have. He could have spared himself. They taunted him, said, yeah, I could. But as the hymn we just sang says, it's a mystery that he stayed there. And we are invited here on Easter, come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree in the stead of ruined sinners. That's us. No hope, can't save ourselves. Deserve to be on the cross, ruined sinners. Deserve separation from God, ruined sinners. Hangs the lamb, the sacrificial lamb in victory. So church, see the price of our redemption. See the father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured, love untold. The price of our redemption, he died for us. But the beautiful news of Easter news his followers should have been expecting after he had done all these works and he told them he was gonna do it three days after he died because of his great love for you and because of his great power over death, he rose again. Our God's not dead. In the resurrection, he defeated death itself once and for all, and he is alive. And because he is alive and sits actively on the throne of grace, he can still extend that offer of forgiveness to you. And if you'll just receive it, it can be yours today and you can live free, but you got to receive it. Romans 6, 23, the wage of sin, what you owe is death, is the cross but the gift of God sitting in the driveway. Gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Will you receive it? You're just going to admire him. He offers you redemption. Oh, some of you just need to hear, some of you Christians just need to hear that. He offers you redemption today. That you can be healed from whatever rebellion you've been running from him, even though you gave your life to him, found that forgiveness a long time ago, but you come back to him and be healed today completely. He offers you redemption. Eternal life, it's yours. No more fear about where you stand with God. Hear him call you son or daughter in Christ. Receive his adoption of you. It's 100% grace, but I will tell you, it is not cheap grace. 100% grace, but he died to give you this grace. He says, if you want to find true life, you got to give your whole life to him. Cheap grace thinks you can take the gift without surrendering to the giver. You got to get all the way in the car. Got to trust him with your life. Will you trust him? In baptism, what we're going to say is two questions that you're going to hear. The first is, do you believe Jesus has done everything necessary to save you? That means salvation comes solely and completely in what Christ has done for you. But the second one we're going to say is, are you willing to go wherever he tells you to go and do whatever he calls you to do? And that's saying, you've received the gift. Are you entrusting your life to the giver? And it, yes, to those two, that's when the public confession takes place and the church welcomes in another brother or sister. I want to close by giving us, both of our campuses, just a, a moment to respond to the Lord with what he might be doing in your own heart and mind. So if you would get into a, a posture of prayer as I just lead you through a brief prayer, you can bow your head, close your eyes. If you're like brand new to church and you don't know about prayer, you can also just bow your head and look at your shoes and no one is going to know, okay? But I encourage you to respond to what God might be stirring up in you.
I, I say this too often. You know, in the Lord's economy, there are two people. There are those that have received the forgiveness of Christ and those that have not. If you have received that forgiveness, you can count yourself as a Christian. I want you to just go to them. Maybe there's been some spots where you need to take a second and say, Lord, I, it's been a minute since I've really trusted you with my life. And I'm just remembering old rides in the car, but it's been a long time since I've actually trusted you with the weight of my life, chosen your way over my own way. And I'm coming back home today. Maybe that's you. You need to take that step. Maybe you just need to worship him and thank him for his grace here on Easter morning. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for what you did for me. If you're not a Christian, maybe you've just been around the things of Christianity, grew up in a church space or whatever, but you've never received it. You've never gotten in the car. Man, that offer is extended finally to you today. God has brought you here for that so that you can receive his forgiveness today. I want to lead you through a prayer. You can use your own words there, your own heart and mind to the Lord. Hopefully these will just help you. You tell him, God, I believe that I am a sinner. I do believe that. And I need forgiveness that I can't get on my own. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you did it because you love me. I see your love here today in these two stories. I see it on the cross. I believe you love me. So I receive the gift of your forgiveness that you won on the cross for me. God, I believe you rose again. And I believe I get new life because you have new life. I receive it today. Listen, still in that posture of prayer, head bowed, everybody's doing their own response to the Lord, but between me and you and between our campus pastor there at Northeast um, and the Northeast family, I want to take a moment, praise the Lord for and pray over you if you're beginning that. So if you would, if you have received Christ, and yes, I'm praying that prayer, I'm receiving Christ. If you would just slip your hand up high enough for me to see it, and pray over you and thank the Lord for what he's doing in your heart and mind. Father, thank you for grace. May we never get over May we never get over it. Thank you, Father, for your grace on us. Thank you that you love us and that you have the power to rescue us. You chose to do so. We don't deserve it, but we praise you and say thank you. Praise you, Father, in the mighty resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.